Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urbanski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Rocky Lalvani, the millionaire next door. He started out with basically nothing as his parents immigrated to the United States when he was only two years old. At the time, his dad was 42. It was their second big move in life, and they were starting over yet again to create the American dream. In spite of a lot of struggles and his mom passing away when he was seven, he has been able to achieve financial success. And Rocky wants to share all he has learned along the way so others can achieve their success much faster. His focus is on helping people to know their purpose and then bring balance to their health, wealth, time, relationships, spirituality, and overcome those voices in all of our heads that prevent us from reaching our full potential. So Rocky, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor and a pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Daryl. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's my honor to be here. Yeah, it's a it's an honor to be able to share some mind space with you and be the one that gets to actually talk to you. I mean, it sounds like quite a fascinating journey. So your family came to America. Were they like were they business minded people, entrepreneurs? What was the drive to come? Like why why America? Why then? Why not anything else? Um you know, I think they believed in the American dream. They saw it as a place where anyone could have success. Mm-hmm. And I think it was around that time that a lot of my dad's friends were kind of coming to the United States around the same time. Mm-hmm. So my mom's sister had come maybe a year or two before, and my dad's brother had come a year or two before. So they had some people who had kind of taken the first steps and... I think they just saw more opportunity Mm -hmm. in the United States than they did back home and the ability to create a new life. And so they picked up again in the second time in their life and they said, let's go. Got it. And, you know, at that time, when they when they immigrated, you were only allowed to bring twenty five dollars with you. So that's kind of what they started out with. They had a little bit of friends and family here. But we started off with basically nothing and living in the not so great places Uh and just continually over time, everyone just continued to work hard and build and create success. Now, did they have any trades? Like, was your dad like, you know, was he a carpenter or a leather worker or what? Like, so uh, technically my dad, when when he left, uh, he was a pharmacist. They owned a pharmacy there. Uh 
but when he came to the United States, his pharmacy license was useless. Right. Uh, so he kind of went back to school for, he, he didn't actually, I don't know why he didn't go back to pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. He went back to school just to get a degree. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a, a teacher back there. So she came here and she ended up finding a job as uh, a math teacher in a Catholic school. Oh, good. And so she kind of got started with that. And my dad uh, found a job in a company. And then I guess it was probably about four years later that my mom passed away. Right. Sorry. And I was still pretty young. So I don't understand all of the, the, the things that went on there. Mm-hmm. And my dad wasn't he wasn't a risk taker. And so I think that's why he kind of, he, cause he's pretty much stayed in the same job that he had then all the way through till when he retired. Mm, got it. Well, I think when you've got a kid or a family, you know, coming to America was probably a big enough risk. So, I mean, I, I don't know him. I can't really speak for him. It sounds like quite a struggle though. So you don't really have, you do have, I know you say he wasn't quite a risk taker, but again, changing countries, is a bit of a risk, a risky thing to do. So, but it doesn't sound like there's a lot of entrepreneurialism. So, what's your background? Like, how did you? What were some of the biggest challenges you faced? I mean, growing up without a mom, uh, being an immigrant in the United States, which, if I understand correctly, at the time, people could be judgmental. You know. Yes. You know what? And I, I think our parents always had pride, mm-hmm. and so they, there may have been comments made here and there, but it was never something that flowed down to the kids or Mm. to me or to like any of the family around. Mm. It was like, we're all successful people. We're starting over. And, and literally, you know, within a very short period of time, they continually moved up the economic ladder. So even though he didn't do tremendous, all the people around us did successful. And Mm. I think as you look at the flip of people around us, there were people who work for companies there were engineers and and business people. There were entrepreneurs in the group. Uh Um, There were doctors in the group. So it was a a wide variety of people who had been successful in their home country, but were now starting over. Uh So they already had the success mindset. They had already moved once in their life because where we were from originally ended up when they were young was a war-torn area. And so they had to leave and start over that first time. So I think they they just knew how to be resilient and wherever they went, you know, wherever you look at our family and cousins throughout the world, they're successful everywhere they went. So there was a certain just that underlying success in there. And I those principles were taught to me, the underlying success, the underlying understanding of money and how to use it and how to bargain and how to save and how not to get caught up in all of the hype and, and overspend. So those principles and those things were all core values there. And so even though I grew up different, I think we, we just had instilled in us a sense of pride. And Mm -hmm. so we didn't feel that there was a need to be pitied. Mm. Uh, We just knew that you were just expected to succeed. Mm -hmm. That was just Mm -hmm. kind of the way it was. Mm. And you know, we were always told the world is yours. Go, go do what you want. Yeah, that's a powerful statement. I really want to emphasize that too, because people listening, they might be like, yeah, you can be anything, be all you can be. I've heard that. But the reality is, is everybody listening to this, we're fortunate enough that we're humans. Like I have a dog and I love this dog so much, but my dog will only ever do the handful of things a dog does unless I train and coach her 
to do something different. Left to her own devices, she would only ever just do those things. So yeah, you might be able to teach a dog to whatever, do a f- funny trick. But a human, you can decide any point in time, any day. You know, I want to be an astronaut. I want to scuba dive. I want to learn ballet. I want to learn how to do a backflip. I want to get in the best shape of my life. I want to learn a new language. I want to create something that's never existed before. Like, we literally get to shape our life. We are amazing. And this isn't some wooey, woo, foo, woo. If you think and wish and attract it, it comes. Like, you just can go out and get it in the world and build it and work towards it and make it happen. And it's, it's just so powerful. And people just don't use it. It's like everyone's... You know, it's everyone's got the power of the universe in their back pocket, and they just kind of sit around watching The Simpsons, you know, and I just, it's, it's a, uh, anyways, I just want to emphasize that. I don't want that to be lost on people, because what you said is really, really true, and it sounds like a really healthy environment you grew up in. It was. I was lucky, and hmm. I agree with you entirely, and, and more so, you know, the world has dramatically changed since I was little, because... Back then, to be able to do what you're doing right now was impossible. Right. And now it's possible. The ability to promote yourself, to create a brand, and to do it with next to no money. Yeah. And to do it worldwide has never been possible like it is today. So there are no excuses. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the mistakes you see people making with their money and in their goals to achieve financial freedom? Like, what are some of the big myths or, or just major faults people have in their behavior and relationship with money? So I I think it comes from a couple of different standpoints. Personally, people don't save. They mm. don't, they, they blow all their money. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard, even high income earners, business people who are generating well into the six, seven figures mm-hmm. who have no money. Mm-hmm. They blow it all. They're chasing some dream. They're spending it all on stuff, trying to impress people. And that's just, it's just not good. Yeah. From a business owner standpoint, I think my biggest eye-opening thing was that most business owners don't focus on the numbers. Mm. And I was shocked at that. I always thought, oh, this guy's a business owner. He understands his numbers. And I, the amount of business owners that actually do that are very small. And mm. I think that's why so many small businesses go under because they don't focus on their numbers. They don't know what their profit margins are. They don't know where the money is coming and going from. Mm-hmm. And if you don't focus on it, you're never going to control it. And I understand for many business people, you are much more interested in whatever it is that you do and that you do well. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you, you've got to either build the systems or get help that will help you focus on your numbers. And you've got to have excellent people who do that because too often than not, even the people you might hire don't focus on the numbers. Right. (laughs) Yes. There's some really powerful things in that. Let's unpack that a little bit for the listeners so they don't, that doesn't go over their heads. So the first thing is the numbers. That is so important. I just have a new client I've been working with now. The holidays just came and went. And they have a couple of different software companies, all do, one doing about four million a year, three doing about a million a year. And they have, uh, you know, fair size marketing budgets. And they had a campaign and they were buying customers for about $40 per sale, which is, which is okay. And they have a, a $47 per month subscription program is, their, is the second lowest tier that they have. And for that program, they get about, they get about just under $500 per, on average per customer. And over the holidays, their cost per sale got close to $80, so they shut it off. But 
they, like you said, they weren't watching the numbers. They were focused on what they were spending. And, you know, and so they're like, whoa, hold on, right? Like we're, but you know what I mean? Like we're spending $80, but you're still making 500. Like if I had a vending machine and for every dollar I put in, you got $4 back. Even if it turned, went up for if the cost went from $1 to $2 to get $4 back, you'd still keep stuffing money into the thing. And I think that the, like what you said, not paying attention to the numbers is a huge part of that. So I think that that part is really important to emphasize. And then the next thing you talked about is building a team. That is such an important thing. There are so many people that are trying to do it on their own. And I think any of the, the, the windfalls that I've had, it's always been because I had a team and I got the right people in the right places. Anytime I've worked with clients, I had a client uh, I worked with for about two years and it took us almost four months to really get any traction in the beginning because the team, it was like herding cats. And finally we got the team knuckled down and in shape. And then, you know, we did something like $250,000 with $30,000 in advertising. You know, and it was just, it's, it's really just about being able to, to get that, those people in place and, and recognize what you're good at and not necessarily just avoiding your weaknesses, but surrounding yourself with people that can support you with what you're weak at, you know, doing what you love. The money isn't necessarily in doing what you love. It's in getting people to agree to have what you do done. I I just want to unpack that a little bit because you said that so quickly and eloquently and succinctly that I wanted to make sure people kind of understood that a bit. Go ahead. And so having a team is very important. And I say, let the experts do what the experts do, Mm. but just be careful because what happens sometimes is you have one expert doing something and then you have something else you need done. And you're like, Hey, can you do this too? And they say, yeah, sure. I guess we can do that. But wait a minute. If they're an expert in X, don't ask them to do Do Y. They might do it. But they're not going to do it well. well yep. And what they do might screw things up. Yep. So be careful in how you look at your, your team and your experts. Let them stay in their lanes mm. and, and find the right people for the right lanes. Mm, mm, mm. So do you have any advice on doing that? It's difficult. Finding good people to work with is difficult. When I find good people to work with... I let them run and I let them alone and I keep them happy. Right. And, and I don't meddle in their stuff. You know, we yep. come to an agreement, you're going to do X and then they do it. And I know they can do it well in the future. I just, when I have X to be done, I call them, I go handle it. We mm-hmm. don't fuss over money. Cause I know they're going to charge me appropriately Everything is good. It takes a mental load off of me because I'm not worrying about it. Mm -hmm. I trust this person. I'm not going to mess in their world. And I know they'll deliver. Yeah. And that comes back again to knowing your numbers, because even if this person costs you. So a great example, my my girlfriend and I, we just got a a new housekeeper, you know, and we're paying her to do stuff and do groceries and things like that and, and clean up the house. And you have to understand that the money we're paying her is so that way we can do the things that we do better. Like it's the, you know, it's the NASCAR driver. He's not getting out to fuel his own car and swap his own tires and all that sort of stuff. So you really have to keep your eye on the prize to where the sum will be greater than the parts of the whole. And so even if that person does require some more money or depending what it is, you know, as long as that reliability is there and the quality is there, that it's, it's, it's worth it, right? It's worth the hassle of that person not being there. I actually had... I made a mistake once. I was um, 
uh, so hopefully just help drive the po- point home for some of the listeners. But I had a video guy, and it was actually a guy that had was doing videos for the History Channel. He came to do help me with some video work, and I loved his work so much. I really did. I thought his video work was fantastic, and I was really excited about the project we were working on. And we were using a time tracking tool, and uh, you know, like you know, like a like a punch in punch out clock. But he was saying, hey, he sent me a message one day, and he said, hey, you know, this thing keeps pausing my time on me. And I go, why? And he goes, well, my computer's, I don't know, my computer's just rendering it. It won't let me record that time. And I'm like, well, are you at your computer working? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, and I kind of was like, well, if you're not working, that's why the time tracker pauses, you know, because just because the, the, because that's a common thing in that industry, right? They might work three hours on video and then to render your video takes another three hours and they'll bill you for six hours, even though it's their computer, not them at work. And, you know, and I ended up, it, it somehow went sideways on me really quickly. And I didn't expect it to do that. And afterwards, you know, he just was like, man, you know, I, I, it's cool. I'm, I'm going to go on. And I was, and afterwards, looking at my available options, I realized I should have just paid the guy some more damn money. Like, you know, like that was a big mess up on my part. Like, nickel and diamond over a few hours, you know, that this guy's logging cost me someone that I thought did amazing and quality work. And, you know, anyways, that's just a painful moment experience that I would like to share just to just to articulate that, because then it took more time to find somebody new. We were in the middle of the project. There were three videos being made. I had to go find somebody new. I had to screen them. I had to bring them on board. The quality wasn't necessarily the same. You, you know what I mean? Like if I had just paid the guy a little bit more money, he was just he was professional. He did great work. He showed up on time. He was reliable. You know, and so it was just it was a case of the focus in the wrong place. You know, and and e- either ego or principle or something getting in the way of like understanding his true value. And uh, anyway, so that's just to, again help expand on your point there. That was a learning lesson that I had. And I think what what I prefer to do is to pay people for the job versus the hours. Mm-hmm. And so that you don't get involved in all yeah. of these issues. Yeah. Yep. And it solves the problem. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Pay for results. Yeah. I just, uh, we just forexed my girlfriend's income because of that. Got her out of doing dollar for hour work and instead per result. And she's built a team now. And uh, yesterday she was so excited because that's the most money she's ever made in a single week in her entire life. And she was just doing this happy dance. And it, you know, when you get your, your oil changed, your car, these days it's like 60 bucks to get your oil changed. It takes them 15 minutes to do. You know, you go get a teeth cleaning at the dentist in, in Canada, I think. Last time I did, it was like $120. You know, I, I wasn't even in there for a full hour. But you're paying, you know, it's that story of the guy, his furnace breaks down. And he calls the mechanic, the repair guy. And the repair guy shows up and comes in, goes down the furnace. And he's like, oh, this is the problem. He takes out his hammer and knocks on the furnace a couple of times. And I think it starts right up. And the guy, Joe's like, man, that's amazing. What do I own? He's like, oh, I'll send you the bill in the mail. He's like, oh, okay. And, you know, Joe, and the guy leaves and Joe's all waving at the door. And then he gets the bill and it's $100. And he calls the guy to complain. He goes, hey, you know, what's going on? All he did was knock my furnace with a hammer. What's going on? You know, and it was a really cold day that morning. It was a super cold day. And Joe, like, oh, you know, sorry, let me itemize that for you. And so then he gets a new invoice in the mail and it says, hitting your furnace with a hammer, $1. Knowing where to hit, $99. Absolutely. You pay for what you get. So moving beyond that then, what would you recommend anyone that's starting out or struggling right now that has no idea how they could afford to hire someone, you know, that maybe just feels a little lost? Are there any found foundational principles you would you would guide them to, to help them through that time? Uh, you know, for people who are starting out, you're going to have to make a decision. And that is what, what kind of a budget you have to get started. 
So for some people, they may have an abundance of time. And for other people, they may have an abundance of money, but a lack of time. So you have to look at which one you are, and maybe you're somewhere in between there. And if you've got the time and you don't have the money, then just start doing it. You know, learn what you need to learn for the next step and do it and mm-hmm. try it out and fail and try it again and do it a little bit better and try it again and do it a little bit better. And these days with the Internet, you can learn how to do practically anything. Mm-hmm. So it's not that difficult. And if you find yourself in a group of people who are in a similar industry as you who are on industry boards, they'll help you. Mm. You know, you can say, hey, I'm doing this. I tried X, Y, Z. I'm stuck here. What's next? And you'll get 100 opinions. You know, 99 of them might be wrong, but you can at least start to figure out what to do and go forward. I think the biggest part for a lot of people especially starting out is to start. Uh If you don't start, you sit there and you struggle and you, it spins around in your mind and there's so many fears and uncertainties and all of that prevents you from doing anything. Uh You're better off starting out and at least trying and failing than you are to never try at all. And I think one of the things people need to be watchful for is, you know, if you've got, If you don't have a lot of money to invest, then don't make big bets. Don't put your entire, you know, pile of chips on one number, hoping that it's going to come up and win. Because in the beginning, we all screw up. So make sure you take measured risk so that you can continue to take risk and you can continue to keep trying something. And I think you also, especially in the early parts, if you can't afford the experts, then spend your time reading, learning, find a mentor, take a course and just go slow. And I think the biggest thing is risk prevention. Mm. You don't want to get wiped out. So take your time and and be slow. And when you're struggling, we're all going to struggle, right? Mm -hmm. So know up front what what you're going to do when you struggle. And that means, all right, I'm going to start this project and I'm going to do these seven steps. Mm -hmm. When I struggle at step three, if I can't get through it, then I'm going to pay someone to help me through step three. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to go and, you know, I have a group of resources that I can go to. So if you know that you're going to struggle Be ready to not get stuck at the struggle. Mm -hmm. Have a plan in mind for how you're going to handle the struggle, how long you're going to struggle before you ask for help. And you've got to ask for help. I think that's the other big problem. No one wants to ask for help. And nobody wants to admit, was it success as many fathers, but failure is an orphan. Nobody wants to admit, right? Nobody wants to admit when something's not working well or, right, or failing. Yeah. I've made tremendous mistakes throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And especially in investing. Uh-huh. I've made hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars in mistakes. Uh-huh. And in spite of that, I still have massive success uh-huh. because if you don't take the chance, you're never going to get ahead. Uh-huh. It's That's what makes it hard, I think, in business because, I mean, I've definitely gone through it myself. Like you, you're gambling with money and money, I mean, money is just an inanimate object, 
right? It's just an idea, money, but it, all, it represents so much power to a certain extent and so much time and energy and effort invested. So it's hard to like be detached and, and, you know, if you're playing basketball, you know, and you miss a bunch of shots, you're like, whatever, I'll just keep shooting and I'll make it. But when it's your money, it's so much harder to be that way and be like, oh, you know, geez, I've got no money this month, you know, but let me keep hustling and negotiating and making deals and, you know, helping people and, you know, maybe some will come together next month. I had something last year where um, I, w- I went very close to, to having having no money. And I'm, I'm actually a saver. You s- say people tend to save. I tend to try to not spend anything more than 70% of what I make, you know, including what I save. That that other 70, the last 30%, like, it just disappears. No one knows about it. No, You know, it's off and it's for rainy days. And I really did have to help in uh, some family things. And then the business stuff, it was like three, four months. It was like nothing I was doing was worked. And when I was literally getting so close to my last dime, I signed a $100,000 U.S. contract. And then I had another thing come through and another thing come through and another. And so, but it, man, like, you know, it's that, like you say, you, you fail, but it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta try and be detached, you know? And that's, and anyways, that's why I say, I, th- I like what you said about mitigating risk. You have to find a way to protect yourself, but then still be able to play that game, you know? Because you you got to be in it, you, and I and I if you, please correct me if I'm wrong in any way, shape, or form. And that's why I love about what you said: protect yourself, mitigate your own personal risk as much as you can. But in business, you're going to hire people, and it's not going to work out. It doesn't mean you shouldn't hire anyone anymore. You know, you're going to spend money on advertising, and it's not going to work out. The product or service you're doing is going to be made redundant. You're going to have to start from zero again. It, the world's going to change. Like, I mean, geez. Could you imagine it being the first guy trying to sell a fax machine? You know, and now with the internet, do people even still use fax? It's it's evolved and changed, and you know, and so just don't know what's going to happen. The top 100 or Fortune 100 companies, they're not going to be the same ones most likely in the next 50 years. Too many uh, habits that people should. Well, so yeah, if you're a business person, why are you in business to make a profit, right? Right. So profit first. The first thing you should do is set aside your profit. Hmm. And in the same thing in your personal life, right? The first thing you should do is pay yourself first. So mm-hmm. pay yourself first, pay your profits first, and put them aside and keep them protected and, and let them grow. Don't keep, everyone wants to keep reinvesting in their business and they never put aside their profits. And one day the world changes and mm-hmm. their business is gone and there was no profit. Mm-hmm. So if you do that up front and you keep building it, then when, when the hard times come, you have mm-hmm. this giant bankroll on the other side, mm-hmm. and that's your your ability to weather the storm. To weather the storm, to step in and change your family's uh, the direction your your family's going in, or yeah. And yeah. and I mean, I can't tell you how many small businesses I hear that something happens in the owner's life. Either they get sick, a family member gets sick, something happens, and the whole business falls apart. Mm-hmm. Because there was never any margin in the business. There right. was never any ability to to handle up and downs. And there's always going to be up and downs. You know, that uh, when things are good, this too shall pass. When things are bad, this too shall pass. Mm. So be ready for it. Mm, mm, mm. Do you ever feel that there's anything holding you back in your business career? Hold it. Over my career, absolutely. There's been a million things that have held me back. Um, And it's a lot of what we talked about. I I think 
one of the biggest ones was the fear of getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't even so much the fear of getting started. It was like, well, what should I do? I want a business. What What am I good at? And just spending so much time struggling with what I could do. And it's kind of funny now because one of the business ideas I had was literally back when I was in college. Mm. And I grew up with the, the age of the PC coming to be. Mm-hmm. And so I was one of the first people as a kid, I knew how to use Multimate. And Multimate is Excel today. I mean, Mm. it's precursors to it. Mm -hmm. And I was in high school teaching accounting departments how to use this electronic spreadsheet because they used to do everything by hand. Right. (laughs) And so my business idea was like, you know what? I could just build spreadsheets for people. Right. And I never did it. I never, I always thought, eh, who's going to pay me? Ooh, this, ooh, that. Just a couple of months ago, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal how all of the biggest corporations in the world are sick and tired of the fact that all their numbers are being done on Excel because none of their their business systems can do anything. And they've got these people who pull all the data from all their systems into Excel spreadsheets and provide them the answers they want. I'm like, oh, my God, that's my natural talent. Yeah. And I never did that. And I just started, mm-hmm. I, I, I would be that, I'd probably be the guru of that business because it mm. was, you know, so not starting, not seeing opportunity, not taking a risk, not continuing through the dip. I mm-hmm. mean, I think everyone thinks they look at success and they go, oh, that guy's successful. That was so easy for him. Right. Everybody spends 10 years, if not more, in the grind before they have success. And I mean, they work hard and they effort in and they are focused. And so you have to do those things. Yep. So what were some of the biggest challenges in your business career? Um, I think, well, some of the things I've talked about, not getting started, um, the fear uh, not thinking I had to do it all and not letting go. Mm-hmm. Now I have teams. Now the rule is I don't do it all. Now I pay people to do stuff. So I think it's all those little mindset things are what kind of helped me back. And then learning to let go. So I'm going to put my work out there. Maybe it's going to succeed. Maybe it's going to fail. You know, I, I have a podcast. Maybe someone's going to listen. Maybe they're not. But I'm just going to keep doing, I'm going to keep showing up, doing my best, and every day making myself one little bit better, learning one more thing, trying one more thing, and just taking the next step. So I love what you said there, because you said you're going to finish it and then let go. Because I think there's a lot of a lot of owners and uh, just even creators who, you know, it's constantly a work in motion. It constantly could be tweaked. This needs to be improved. This isn't that great. This... Right. There's all these little things. So you say just let go. Are you, you know what I mean? Is there like a code freeze that you do in your head? Like, all right, this is now done. I have to put it out there. You know what I mean? Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Like that desire to be a perfectionist? Can you can you speak to that? Does that impede you? Sure. Is that a bet? Is that an asset? Well, I think in the past and I think a lot of business owners are perfectionists. It has to be perfect before I let it go. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And, and I think that's another mindset shift. I mean, if you look at, we talked about Multimate and, and Excel and Microsoft, they constantly put stuff out that sucks and then they fix yeah. it and then they make it a little bit better and then they keep making it a little bit better. 
that's what they do. I mean, if you look at Apple and the iPod, I mean, how many iPods were there? Every yeah. six months, there was a better iPod. That's right. They didn't wait for the perfect iPod. Mm. They had what they had. They shipped. They released. And then they made it better. Mm. And that's what you have to do. You have to say, I've got to let go. It Maybe it's perfect. Maybe it's not. Here it is. And tomorrow, I'll try and make it a little better. Mm. Mm. Right. Because ultimately, it's hard for us to predict the wants and needs of hundreds of thousands of people. You know, you are one person, or maybe you're a small team of two or three. And until you put it in the hands of your customers who are going to actually use it and hear what they think, you're never really going to be 100% clear on, right, whether it's loved or not, or whether it's fitting the need or how you could be, you know, how it might break. You just got to get put it out there in their hands and then, you know, update it for them because they're the ones paying for it. Right. So to get the minimum viable product up, put it out there, get feedback, just be upfront with people. You know, if you feel like it's not as a finished product, perhaps let them know like, hey, this is a beta type of thing. You know, hey, this is just the first version. If you get in early, you get to be part of the process. Just be transparent. But, you know, don't. Don't uh, don't limit yourself. Go for sales right away. I think that's a really important thing. Get something together that someone gets excited about. Put it in their hands. Get them to pay for it. And then, like you said, keep making it better. Come up with new versions. I think that's fantastic advice. Well, and so to pay, so I, just from the standpoint of building a a digital course. So you're creating a course that you're going to sell on how to do X, Y, Z. If you do it in that fashion. When you build it, the original people who are taking that course are going to show you where the sticking points are. You're going to start to learn where you missed something. And it may not be what you think it is. You might get surprised at the feedback that is provided to you. And if you waited to make it perfect and you put all that effort into it and you missed the mark, how many hours and how much resources have you lost Instead of saying, here's round one, give us feedback so we can do round two better. Right, right. Really well said. Really, really well said. So um, what was some of the best advice you ever got in your business career? Some of the best advice? Um, I think, and we've talked about this, build a team and let the experts do what they're good at and don't mess with them. Don't question them. Just learn to let go and be intentional up front when you do that. Um, I think for me, the best example, I, I flip houses. Okay. And when we began flipping houses, I know how to do everything in that house. I know how to put a roof on. I know how to drop floors. I know how to hang cabinets. Mm. I, I know how to do plumbing, electric, everything. The rule was I will not lift a hammer. Mm. Because right. that is not the best use of my time. Right. I will manage people and I will handle problems. Uh. And we let the experts do what they're good at. And I just manage the process. And, and in learning to do that to the point of like, literally, I don't meet people at the house. There's a lockbox on the front door. Here's the code. Here's the address. Here's what needs done. Uh -huh. And I let go. I can flip a house with about 20 hours of work. That's awesome. And it's because I've learned to let go and trust. Right. And that's probably the, the, the most important thing. You're an entrepreneur. Your job is to figure out how to do something, figure out how to do it really well, and then systematize it and let someone else do it. Right. I love that. So we had a previous guest, Brad Martineau. Great interview. Anyone that wants to check it out, definitely go listen. Give it a listen. 
Um, he gave me this quote, and I use it all the time, and he just says, you know, when you look up the word entrepreneur in the dictionary, what it, it says is a person who organizes a business or businesses. What it doesn't say is a person who answers the phone, does the bookkeeping, makes the sales, mops the floor, you know, delivers the service, right? Like, that's not what it says. It's a person who organizes it all. And I think that that's a really powerful thing. And it goes back to what we were saying before about building that team around you and, and having those, I just, I just love what you say that even though you know how to do everything, you don't lift a hammer because that limits your ability to grow and scale. You are in the business of creating opportunities for other people to make an income, right? Like everybody wants to show off how good they are. Everyone wants to show off how great of a doer they are. But it sounds like you, you're like, mm, I'm not, I can't, you know, I could, but I'm not touching a hammer. And I think that's really powerful because it allows you, like you say, with 20 hours to flip one house. So you could be flipping five. I mean, depending on, you know, what you've set up, you could be flipping multiple houses at a time, you know, but you couldn't do, I mean, it would be physically impossible to do if you were the guy doing everything. You know, if you had a full-time job and you're coming back on weekends and evenings to work on this place, and maybe that's where you start. Maybe that's where you start, but that's not, you know, that's not what's going to get you to where your goals are. So I just think that's a powerful thing. Anyone listening to this, there's been some great gems in this interview. You may want to go back and re-listen to it all. I certainly hope you've had a paper and pen to write some notes down, because again, even if you never look at them again, just by writing it down, you're more likely to remember it. Did you have any role models growing up that you that helped you figure this stuff out? How did you How did you learn all this stuff? Where did, Where did you get that wisdom? So, I, growing up. Beyond family, probably not. And I say that not because I was so smart. It was because I was so arrogant. And so I continually made all these mistakes and I kept screwing up. And all those things have prevented me from making even more money mm -hmm. because I had to learn them the hard way. Had I understood these things up front and had the confidence to just do it, I would be a hundred times further along than I am today. Uh -huh. And I'm pretty far along. So, you know, it, yep. 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 it's just making, and that's what, so the biggest thing I try and do now is to, you know, especially with my kids is we have these kind of conversations uh -huh. and teaching them how not to make all the mistakes that I made. Right. And that's part of what my coaching practice is the same thing. Let me prevent you, you know, you're not going to pay me to make you grow 10 times faster, but what I'm going to do is help you not make all the mistakes that I made. Right. And that's will, why you're going to get there faster. That's yeah. going to get you there faster because right. you can see so much clearer that, hey, if you go down this path, these are all the things that you're going to encounter. Here's a simpler, easier way to do it and figure out how to make that happen. And that's the other thing. I was just having a conversation with someone earlier today. You know, so often we say, well, I need to do X and everyone looks at it. Well, there's one way to do X. But when you sit down and say, you know what? I need to do X, but I can't do it the way everyone says. And you just take a few minutes to just settle and and clear your mind and think through it. You'd be amazed at how many other ways there are to do X that you never possibly imagined and when you figure those all out, you're like, oh, my God, why is everyone doing X that way when there are 100 better ways to do it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. You might not be able to change the speed limit of the highway or make the car go faster, but you can prevent the flat tire, you can prevent the radiator you know, blowing up. You can prevent all these other 
things that could happen that other people didn't realize. Oh, you're not supposed to drive over the, you know, you're not supposed to do this, you're not supposed to do that, you're not supposed to go off-road, you're not supposed to. I think that's fantastic. Um, well, or you could you could take an airplane, or you could just pay somebody to take this from here to there so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. There's There's a million other ways to get that job done. Can you speak a little bit to how you create and monitor a system? So if you have a system in your business, can you give an example of how one is created and how you, I don't, I don't know if enforce is the right word, but how you, you know, quality control, so to speak. So my businesses aren't that large that I have to worry that much. I'll give you, I, I'll give you the perfect example more so from real estate, because that's the one that is most systematized for me in the sense that I call the painter and he says, what color to paint the house? And I go, the same color you always paint the house. <laughs> We're not going to make this decision. Go paint the house. You know the colors. There's two of them. This goes on the trim. This goes on the wall. When we put appliance packages in, we don't what should I put? No, it's a standard appliance package. This is what goes in. So we try to remove decisions that don't really matter and make them as simple as possible. Same thing goes, you know, for bookkeeping. You know, this is the way things get logged into the system. And, you know, if you're a small business and one of the things you can do is to separate your accounts. So separate your personal expenses from your business expenses. Whenever you do a business expense, use a business account or a business credit card Mm. because otherwise things get mixed up. And again, you're losing focus on the numbers. So have those things or have checklists. You know, if if I'm going to do a certain task, even if I'm doing it myself and I'm going to be doing it over and over again, create the checklist just like an airline pilot, right? He gets Mm -hmm. in that airplane. He's got a checklist. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. This is how I do it. And so create a checklist like when I for whatever the tasks you do, especially the ones you don't do that often are important. If you do something once a month, have the checklist for once a month. This is the end of the month. I need to review my numbers. Okay. What do I need to do to remove my numbers? Should I sit here and think about it again? No, I pull out a piece of paper and I go down the checklist. And then at the end of that month, I go, you know, I don't like the way step four went. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here's a better way to do step four, change my checklist. Now I'm done. The next month I've got my checklist again and step four is improved. And maybe this month I improve step seven, or maybe I go to a conference and I learn something and I'm like, wow, I could implement that. Okay, where does that go? Into which checklist? Put the step in and it's there. So the, the, the whole purpose of systems is to take the mental load off. It's so that you don't have to think about something. It's so that it's automatic and done. And then you can focus on what's important to you instead of routine types of things that get done over and over and are irrelevant. Very well said. The 80-20, right? We talked about 80-20 at the beginning, correct? Right. Yes, we did. I don't think we said the 80-20, but I think we mentioned that, like leveraging yourself. Do you want me to go into the 80-20? I can dig into it if you want. (laughs) Well, I think people kind of get the concept. The idea is that, you know, 80% of your results come from 20% of the effort. And that's really kind of the goal, right? I mean, it's the focus not on the trivial many, but the critical few. And I think we can all think of that in a life. It's almost like with productivity. You know, the reality is, as business owners, we're not productive all day, every day. You just, you aren't, you know, you're, you're productive for a few hours every day. So that's where you have to know not only time management, but energy management. So when you, you are being productive, when you have those moments of energy, that you're getting the, the critical stuff done, you know? that uh that you're not and so think about yeah so take that a step further 80 
20% gets you 80%, right? Right. 40% gets you 96%, right? And that leaves 60% for 4%. Screw the 4%. Go enjoy your 60%. Build another business. Enjoy your family. Yep. Go to the gym. Read something. <laughs> learn something. Right. Go do something else with the other 60% and be happy with the 96%. Yep. Because you can gain so much more from that 60% of time than you could from that extra 4% of whatever you were going to achieve. You know, and one of my mentors, he said something that was really, uh, and maybe you could speak to this in, in a little, uh, and just, anyways, maybe you could say a couple of words on this, but he even said, don't necessarily like grow every business, but understand that you can have multiple teams of income. So maybe you have a business that only does a thousand a month, but that's all that business does, but you've got a team in place, you know what I mean? And it's buttoned up and everything's put together nicely where you still have that time freedom and you still get that income, you know, and then you have a second business that you build. And that came from at the time I was running a martial arts school and he was like, you know, look at your business. Like you've got, like, you've got a, you know, you've got an adult business, you've got uh, a kid's business, you've got an after school business, you've got a pro shop business. Like these are all different businesses, you know, and you want to grow them all independently, but you also have to recognize that they're separate entities in and of themselves. And so be okay with one business only doing whatever it does, but just, like almost like you say, like focus more. The importance was more on the systems and processes in place versus how much money it was necessarily making. Because I know some people that get trapped, almost like you're saying, like they're doing six figures, seven figures, but you know they're putting in a hundred hours a week. They're estranged from their family and friends. Their health is deteriorating, and that's not everybody, right? There's a lot of people that are rich that are happy in their lives. But do you get? Is that? Would you agree with that? What, what would you say to that? I absolutely agree with that. And if you think about that, though. From a risk standpoint, if I have seven streams of income and four blow up, I still have three streams of income. And and if I have three streams of income that are doing well and four blow up, I might be able to take those three streams and boost them up to make up. On top of that, if you've got seven streams of income, you now have things that can overlap. So something that's helping you in stream one can help you in stream six. And maybe you're doing something across all the streams. And at the, at the base of all those streams is accounting, right? right? So if you've got accounting across seven streams, now you can essentially build stream eight, which is to create an accounting business that knows how to do all these different things, put it in place, and now sell that service to someone else. So now you're creating streams within your streams. Mm. Or if you're a business and, you, you know, Okay, I have a business. Well, you need a place for your business, right? So now you buy the building. So now you have a real estate business. Now you have two streams of income. You have the business and the property. And the business is paying for the property. Maybe there's space for a second business in there. Someone else is now paying for your property. You're paying less. And you're creating multiple streams. So absolutely multiple streams, multiple stackable streams, multiple streams that can work together and can be promoted to each other are very good, um, especially things that can weave together and refer together. So mm -hmm. if you've created different businesses that create referral patterns to your customers, all the more good. And, mm -hmm. and what you're doing there is mitigating risk, because if one business blows up because the market changed, you still have all these other streams of income. So as well said, Rocky, this was a fantastic interview. Like I said, anyone listening to it, you may want to listen to this again just to make sure you got all the gems out of it. Was there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? 
Um, you know, I think, well, let's just touch base on one thing, which is mindset. It's the sure. voices in our head. Right. Um, we all have fears. We all have doubts. The biggest thing you have to overcome is the reflection in the mirror, because the biggest obstacle between whatever it is that you want and getting there is you. And when you overcome yourself, everything else becomes possible. Mm. And it, it, it's, that's where the happiness, because at the end of the day, what are you making all this money for? Right. To be happy, to be with your family, to do the things you love. And so just having the right mindsets and, and working on yourself and creating the best you possible physically, mentally, emotionally, relationship wise, all of that stuff is, is the most important thing you can do. Cause if, if you at the self are strong and great, mm -hmm. everything else will just come together. That's so well said. So well said. And it's so important because you can get defeated. Again, I mentioned I had a martial arts background. I had students that I had seen them, I would see them lose competition matches or win them before they even started. Because they would get on the mat and they would face off with some other, their, their, whoever their competitor was. And you could just see that they were either really confident that they were going to push and fight in it. You know, and you just even see in the middle of a fight, I mean, everybody watches professional boxing or kickboxing or UFC or any of that. You see people give up in a fight. You know, just mentally they check out. And you can't mentally check out and your body's going to be like, no, we can do this. Keep fighting. Like mentally, you have to be sharp. You have to push through that. That mental toughness part is a big deal. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So Rocky, if anyone's been listening to this and they really resonate with you and your message and they want to reach out to you, what are the best ways to get in touch with you? How should they do that? Uh, so the best thing is if you want to learn more about what I do and my philosophies, I have a podcast. It's called Richer Soul and it's on iTunes. You can go to richersoul.com and you can see uh, the podcast and a couple of the posts that I've written. Uh, you can reach out to me personally. It's rocky at richersoul.com. I always love to hear questions from people and love to help you out in any way that I can. That's, so just reach out and say, hey. That's so awesome. Rocky, I want to thank you for coming and sharing with me and my listeners. You already have your own following. You've got your own businesses and your own kids and family that you could be focusing on. But you took the time to come and share with us. And I know this call is going to help a lot of people. So I just really want to thank you for coming and contributing and helping make all of our lives better. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your patience and generosity. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show again. Thank you so much, Daryl. It's been an honor to be here. And I'm just glad that I could serve your audience and serve you and help to make you all better. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact.
You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.